Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello, and welcome to Let's Drone Out. This is episode 412, and you are joined this week by everybody's favourite, Curry Kitten. Hello. And myself, Stephen. Uh, Jack is not able to be with us this week, but hello, Jack. Hope you're doing all right there. Catch you soon. So, good news is Stephen has apparently been building stuff where you can talk about, because I haven't been doing anything, so I've been away. Well, I... I've had a string of builds that I intended to do, and then I went to Croatia and smashed things. So now I've got an even longer string of builds, so with a little whistle wetting. So for a while I've wanted to try O3. And finally, I created a little O3 quad. I got... In my mind, you already had an O3 on something else. Is oh, this just I've had an O3 for a long time. It's been sitting on my bench glaring at me. And because it's such a high-value item, I've kind of been hoarding it, and I didn't know what to do. So I, I built this 3.5-inch with these Avan props and nice-looking motors that are actually incredibly cheap. And you see the O3 is kind of jammed in the middle there. It's kind of unusually placed right in the middle on top of the stack. And oh, I, I can't even see a stack. Black, it just looks like completely O3. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is in essence the problem, Wayne, that this is so much O3 and so little room for the stack that the first time I took it out, it was just like Mr. Wobble cupped up. And the O3 was touching the stack. And so installing the O3 is not like installing other video systems because for reasons best known to DJI and their... I think it's fair to say contempt for their customer base. Instead of using M2 screws, they decided to use M1.6. Why? You might ask. This is a high-value piece of equipment. You probably want it secured with a nice stout screw, at least an M2, probably an M3, given these are 200 pounds a pop here in the UK. Uh, but no, what we've got is M1.6. So it took quite a while to order the necessary screws to actually do it this way because I'm running M1.6 from the bottom of the frame through the flight controller, which is an all-in-one, through a lot of rubber into the O3. And there wasn't enough screw and it was clamped down tight onto the flight controller, which meant that the flight controller wasn't isolated and it just got too much noise and did the woo. And normally when you get a little woo, it's pretty obvious you've overtuned it usually. Or something is wobbling that shouldn't be wobbling, but it all looked firmly braced in place. And only on closer inspection did I notice that after putting the top plate on, I ended up crunching the O3 down onto the flight controller, and it was not happy about that. Um, so eventually, I ordered some even longer screws, which being M1.6, were an absolute pain to find and took ages to arrive. And finally got it so it's flying sort of okay, but 
oh my word, the trials and tribulations of building your own. I see why people go bind and flies. I really do. Like I wanted a kind of a quad exactly the way I'd like it, but I paid for it this time. I really did. Have you considered going like bigger frame so you could put the O3 behind yeah. the stack? That was my first inclination. I was going to put it on a five inch. And then I realized I fly my five inch probably. I mean, I flew a lot of packs in Croatia, but the number of separate times I go flying with a five inch each year are kind of in single digits. I could fly this near my house, sub 250 with a small enough battery. Whereas I can't fly the five inch near my house. So the five inch. This, this is the problem of living in London town. Doesn't go out. Yeah, pretty much. Flying the five inch is nice. You know, you get that. You can throw it over things. You can go f pretty fast and they're easier to tune. And software like Betaflight, which I participate pretty actively in, is set up with a five inch in mind. When you build something like this, you have to work hard because you don't get that performance as table stakes. Like you can build a bad five inch, put beta flight on it and it's going to fly. Okay. You build a three and a half inch pretty well, and it might fly like trash out of the box and you really need to work. Like the PIDs are up 1.5 and 1.6 on those sliders. That's abnormally high PIDs because it's a little bit of a chonker and it doesn't have enough power. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I was away in Croatia, I um I replaced my VTXs actually. Untangle this. So I've got my five and a half inch AOS frame. I didn't trash this one, but I did manage to do something funky to the gyro and it stopped behaving. But I um I swapped the cameras from DJI to Walksnell while I was in Croatia. So I've got the Walksnell Pro camera, and I absolutely love flying these. They're absolutely beautiful image quality, and and I was flying around in the bright sunlight and then diving into a concrete bando and the it was just wonderful. You get such good low light performance that you don't get that blackout and then surprise. It was handy. The pro camera does seem so far better, like miles better than the regular camera. Why did as they soon release as you the regular? Put that in, in low light, it, you, you can see it sort of go grainy, but that pro camera is just like, mm -hmm. it's like using a DSLR in comparison almost. Yeah. Very nice. To, to my mind, there's two brackets of kind of things worth buying. Either the really cheap light stuff with that tiny board camera that's like a decased 14 mil camera or the pro camera. And the regular cameras in the middle, like you're not getting a light camera, but you're not getting a great image either. So, no. Yeah. Outside in the sunlight, the, there's, there's less to choose between them, isn't there? If you've got a nice sunny day then you'll get a yeah. nice experience. But if you're not, which, you know, we're in England, so we always get nice sunny days, clearly. Um, yeah, that's when you'll see the difference between them. Right. I always feel slightly cheated when you see those reviews and they come out and it's from, you know, like California or somewhere sunny in Asia and it's a beautiful day and they're cruising next to a lake and there's not a cloud in the sky and there's birds and bright green trees and, like, yeah, it's not hard to make that look good. Like you can take any camera and point it at that; it's going to look pretty good. And then you know, flying around in the UK, I put up a video trying to fly under some trees, and the ground just turned into this big muddy kind of impressionist painting. I couldn't see what the heck was going on. Nice. What have you been up to? Nothing at all. I've been in Japan having a holiday. 
So I've not done anything related to FPV in Gadget over two weeks. Comics, video games, cool little robots. I has literally been my day. I have uh, gone to capsule places, gone to crane grabbing things, bought lots of video games, bought anime figures, eaten some really weird shit, and gone around the country with my best broken Japanese possible. That's about it. What cool food did, did you find? I just find the Japanese diet is so sort of alien to anybody that's used to what we're eating. So even when we thought we knew what we were getting, like if you've ever been to a Japanese restaurant, yakitori sticks is something that comes up, which is mm. basically chicken on a stick, really nice chicken, often in a sort of barbecue soy sauce, goes down very nicely. Yeah. First night in Tokyo, after going around to many places and them saying, do you have a reservation? And I was like, no, there's like a thousand restaurants. How do we all need a reservation? All of them. And then when we found a restaurant, we, we couldn't find it because it's either on the, like, the sixth floor or on the basement level. Yeah. I so found the, that the with Yeah. The one we eventually hunted down was down the subway and off to the side. And it's this really busy restaurant and it was yakitori and we thought brilliant. And then it's like, Oh, th this is not yakitori. I, think about because they don't seem to like like lean chicken it's either like weird bits like, it's chicken skin that was that was like a whole thing it's like okay let's try this chew 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 it's not going down <laughs> that sort of thing or like the, the, the lean things were covered in wasabi which really upset my wife or it's like chicken chicken gristle chicken neck chicken weird things and it's like if you have beef, they often have uh, the the beef ligament or beef tendon. Oh, right. Instead of like, what's wrong Over with here, that? Over uh, here, that's what you give to your dog, isn't it? That's what my yeah, dog that's, has. That's what I call the off cut. Mm. Um, so so yeah, it was all a all a bit weird. But yeah, you know, I, I noticed in China they've they're very fond of like mochi, which is kind of like gelatinous, but not sweet gelatinous, like fatty bits of. Um, or exceptionally gelatinous kind of liquid filled savory things that I think to a Western palate feel a little bit kind of like a nasty surprise sometimes. You expect something that. to be and biteable you, and it bounces instead of bites. <laughs> when you get a bit that looks like a lean bit of beef and you, then you bite it, it's like, ah, oh, this, this tastes funny because it's so so fatty. They love their, their fatty bits. Mm. I saw literally a big sandwich in a shop. That. And you can see the beef, and it was surrounded by this whole fat layer all yeah. the way through. And it's like, ooh. Yeah. It's so it's just very different. Very yeah. different. And standards. as we would call it, a bit ooky in many cases, but, you know, yeah. we survived. I remember when I, I, I spent some time out in Hong Kong working at the, a bank there, and one of the guys, like, completely going crazy on uh, chicken feet over lunch, and they were just... I'd thought they'd be scrawny, but they kind of like cook them. So they absorb loads of liquid and they were really plump and just that had that kind of bouncy texture. Like I tried a tiny bit. I was like, no, 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 no. But he was just <laughs> shoveling these things away. Fell, fell asleep, completely fell asleep after lunch. Like he was out for the count, stuffed full of chicken feet. That is it. Every time I speak to somebody in Japan that has really good English and they say, how are you finding the food? And we say it's quite challenging. And I'll describe all the things that I found challenging. They're always like, those are my favorites. Mm. <laughs> this is literally the all yummy the best things. Bit. 
just like missing. mummy used to cook yeah yeah exactly i but, found it much easier yeah. going to like india and sri lanka although i did notice like when i was traveling with americans i was quite happy to have like fish for breakfast and i thought that was that just kind of made sense to me like as a nice breakfast yeah i'd have a bit of fish and coconut milk or something like that and um but Americans found that really difficult. Like fish for breakfast was just a no-no for them. I guess in the UK, we're used to maybe kippers or a bit of kedgeree or something like that. That's not too unusual. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really eat fish much. I don't mind the odd bit of sashimi. I found the problems there were, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Over there, it's like this, like this restaurant just sells yakitori. This restaurant... Oh just does sushi so like this the instant you've walked through the door you've committed curry. and that's it yeah so if you like i'll have some sushi please here's a plate full of this much tuna and all sorts of weird crap you've never thought of before or it's something else so yeah what i don't like is as weird as it sounds a very fishy tasting fish so like mm, things like tuna like and salmon are quite quite mild you put them in a bit of soy sauce it goes down very nicely mackerel and then you have mackerel which we got yeah. served and the traditional japanese meal and it's like let's have a go at this oh god that's so strong and then my wife's going in this thing and says, what's this some sort of vegetables and it's like no they've got eyes they're looking back at us it was all these little white fish just looking <laughs> up at it's like that's not for us so you can't go into a fish restaurant and the rest of the family has fish and you're like, yeah, I'll just get some chicken. That's that's off the menu effectively. Yeah, I don't know how vegetarians would cope because I'm I'm sure if if your Japanese is very good, and then mm. you can probably find somewhere through it. But if not, you know, even if something looks like it's a vegetable dish, there's some fish in it somewhere. It's tasting fishy. How did you find the language? Would you rely on Google Translate or do you start to get to grips with it? I I spent the last months, I learned hiragana and katakana, which are the two phonetic alphabets. So I thought that might be useful. And then literally we got there and all the signs were in kanji, which I hadn't learned. So I knew very basics, um, um, you know, the sort of hello. The, the most complicated thing I did is... In Japanese, ask for no mustard or mayonnaise in a burger, which somehow they understood, which I was quite impressed oh, with. Oh, well done. And I also found that, like, although everybody in the world knows, like, Aragetsuzames for thank you, which is chorused everywhere, if I just said something like sugoi or daiskides about, like, talking about their food, which means, like, awesome or I liked it, mm. they would wet themselves. Oh, in, wow. Like so pleased that I've said something to so them and they understand it. Like two words in their language. You go outside that, they're like, "He's got it." They're yes, overjoyed. that's it. Yes. So that was fun. What What's interesting, I guess, about Japan and in terms of FPV, because we should bring it vaguely back oh, yeah. to the subject. And I didn't find anything obvious in hobby shops there. When I went to Akihabara, which is like the big electronics district in Tokyo, oh, yeah. there was like big electronic shops so they had like drones there so DJI stuff mm. but I think what a lot of people don't realise is outside of the big big cities like Tokyo and um, Osaka which we went to in uh, Kyoto it is a lot of countryside is Quite very mountainous mm. it takes like less than an hour and you're in the middle of the country and because there's so much of it is countryside and mountains it, it seems very easy if you wanted to fly there and where the communities 
in the real, the real rural places have, have declined basically because people aren't getting married and having families yeah there are There's a lot no of abandoned buildings to, to mess about with if you're that way you see anyone flying there no oh. nobody at all i thought i might run across somebody there but yeah because a no, nation that's so you know famous for its love of technology you kind of expect there to, to be people and i remember seeing when looking for videos of the most unusual of uh, model RC contraptions, you know, ornithopters. There was always some Japanese guy who's like 65 and he's made hundreds of ornithopters and things like this. I kind of expect that to be a part of the culture more, I guess. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I feel the problem in the culture is it's very conformist. Nobody wants to sort of stand, stand out mm. and be different um, to the point that, like, uh, you know, famously everybody like the tube station works really a lot like uh the london underground does you know you you tap a little ic card and go through and you get on the train it's very easy to navigate except that everybody lines up carefully in queues and it's it's so sort of polite and everything that nobody does anything to try and offend anybody and i feel like somebody doing something a bit different like fpv would be seen as quite an outsider yeah. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. You'd, you'd have to like start whistling or do something quite minor to be seen as a rebel because everyone is that kind of in lockstep with each other, socially speaking. Yes, literally, you would just you know uh, talk out loud in, in in like talking on the phone in a train is is like outside of behaviour. But because everybody's so polite, they won't say anything. Oh, they're just they're like funny. inwardly sort of they're like, like oh, this is terrible. Guy. That's like. Just- sitting there ripping off farts <laughs> yeah it was yeah it, it would it would be good to take a quad yeah. and just go find some places and have, have some fun but it's quite a long way to go well, so on the the side they're definitely known for and you, and you mentioned this the kind of anime and that kind of geek culture sci-fi giant mecha stuff what was that like well they've got they've got districts for it like in tokyo you've got all these uh, different sort of shopping districts with different things happening. It's like Ginza, where we stayed, is kind of a real high end, like you know Gucci and all these label stores and things. And you got Shibuya, which you'll probably notice from that very famous Shibuya Scramble, which is that big crossing that everybody always oh. shows. There's a great big Starbucks and there's all this zebra going and diagonals. Uh, and yeah, the the electronics and gaming and anime district in Tokyo is called Akiba Aki, Akibahara, Akihabara, Akihabara. And I, then I found there's another one in Osaka called Denden Street, ah. which is much the same. So going strong there are, of internet and uh, online selling. Yeah, there, there, are, there are incredible amounts of the same sort of stores. So we went in, my wife loved this. We had a whole day there. And I was like, she says, which stores are we going? I said, all of them. And so there's literally <laughs> stores and stores just show it, selling anime figures and games. You take an extra suitcase with you. I did bring quite a few bits back, yeah, but she bought like a Gucci handbag, so she she won in value. And um, she gets yeah, one handbag, and, and you and you get assorted a hundreds of toys and things as many as you can cram. In. I mean, we we got a lot of capsule things because it was quite fun to play the little crane things and try and win mm. stuff. But I only bought three three small consoles and like three ish games and one anime figure. So it wasn't That's too very bad. restrained. Very restrained. I thought so. And at night time in these places, the maids come out 
you must have heard of the maid cafes. Well, I saw it in Hong Kong, but there I think it's a really like kind of almost unpleasant divide between the rich and the poor because the maids are like brought in from other parts of Asia and they're never like Hong Kong residents. So it's like almost indentured labor and they can't afford to eat anywhere. So they like sit in green spaces spaces and kind of embroider things and make patchwork. And it's it's kind of... No, these ones weird. literally dress up as maids and we went... We walked along at night time and I think I literally, I filmed it, you know, very, very, very subtly just walking along going like this, mm. <laughs> like over a hundred girls stood along the side of the road, all dressed as, as, as maids of some description. So they were dressed I, as maids, they weren't actual maids. This was very much uh No, it's very much a, I find right. it, I found it a little bit creepy. One and of those. All the efforts they said to say, this isn't sexual, I was like, yeah. Right, mm. they're, they're stopping like 40, 50 year old something men and saying, yeah. Come into our cafe, we'll serve you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've blocked people online for, for much less. Yeah, That's, yeah, just, the, yeah. The, yeah. I'm interested in this, and uh, no, no, it's not sexual. This character is, you know, in, in terms of the, the narrative, is 3,000 years old and just happens to look like a small schoolgirl. No, that's no, no. there were there were shops just selling wire from a, from again from a geeky electronics point of view it's like what gauge wire would you like what color would you like it in this man's got reels everywhere he'll get you wire and there were at least four wire shops it was very good we like the wire shops as well so basically small businesses in in japan do absolutely great and it sounds like they just managed to survive and haven't been plowed under by amazon and ebay and people like that it it must be there are you know they're obviously it's quite a tourist area as well so when you go into like the retro game stores it's like oh god it's like it's just 20 copies of me here that's no fun at all but there are also like lots of japanese people and bizarrely despite them being very high tech Definitely the most popular thing there is pachinko. We went through so many pachinko parlors and every single one is full. They've got queues outside and pachinko, for those who don't know, is literally a game somewhere in between pinball and watching just balls fall down randomly. Apparently there is some skill to it if, if you get them right. And it's this really weird thing. So pachinko is like a gambling game. You, you have to win things. If you get more balls coming out than going in, mm-hmm. you've won. But it's illegal to gamble. So what happens is you take you take your balls and you exchange them for a ticket, and then you go round the corner where there's another store where the ticket will exchange for money, and that's, that's so you do something simple. that looks like gambling, but you can persuade the lawman is absolutely entirely unrelated to the act of gambling. Uh, apparently, <laughs> I don't buy it. Wonderful, wonderful. It's like the national lottery being such a beautiful, you know uplifting experience for everyone involved totally not gambling definitely not gambling, not gambling. no <laughs> at all wonderful oh I, I was gonna say back to the topic of drones i've been buying a load of frames I, I when i was in croatia and crashing things i knew i needed to order spares so i went to cnc madness and i ordered this funny little thing that is uh, from quad 66 who's been making these unusual toothpick frames and uh, I decided that I'd make use of it. And I started to install a new Sky Stars board on there with these uh, 
Sunny Sky 1106 that are quite beefy. And I think it's like a four mil thick toothpick frame. So it's going to be kind of a, a fast little ripper. I'm going to put one of the 1S boards on there from uh, Walk Snail and see how that goes. And then I've got a whole bunch of other things there as well, including a, a four inch frame that I'm going to try building out. I'm quite committed to Walk Snail at this point, is the, the short story. Um, yeah, they seem to do just as well as DJI, if not slightly better. So I'm, I'm impressed. They're definitely not perfect, and the OSD does flicker sometimes, which I apparently like happens on 25 megabit and not 50, but I don't know why. I did notice the flicker. I was just assuming that it like occasionally misses like one of the one of the right. OSD packets or something. So instead mm -hmm. of just like, we'll just hold that information there, it just goes away. Yeah. And then comes back again. I think you're right. And it happens with uh, quite alarming regularity. But the picture's good. Um, I seem to get better fine detail than I did with DJI, which is nice. And uh, those 1S boards are so incredibly light. I've, got, I've been flying this one again and again, and just because it's a two and a half inch. And it's got an HD digital system in. That's just perfect for flying. You know, it's open props. I'm not, not stuck with a, a whoop thing. Weighs kind of, I think, like just under 80 grams, which is with a 3S 450 on there, flies an absolute dream. It's, it's a lovely little thing. So, yeah, they really won me over just having a decent 1S solution and without the sparkles that I was getting on HD Zero, you know, just. I might not be getting the most rock-solid latency, but the image is crystal clear. Yes, I've still got to do my um, the wing, the wing move to uh, my other walks now. Vtex, I've got. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Speaking of walk snail, I took this guy with the three and a half inch props and I did my BMFA FPV racing A-cert. So it's, it's, I, I, was, I was watching the chatter. I was out in the country and my mm. question is, why? What? It, obviously, you did it for a reason that it, it gets you something that you, you wanted. Well, I kind of been hating on the BMFA because I didn't really understand what they were doing. And I thought instead of just being a dick about it, I, I should probably actually try it out and, you know, see what it's all about. And reached out to someone and they were enormously helpful and really nice. And in fact, uh, you suggested that I buy the right membership and I went and bought the wrong one and paid for an extra six months when I didn't need to, which made me feel like a complete dimwit. But um, yeah, they're just very nice and and so i thought i should you know put my money where my mouth is and well get the membership and and do the certificate so i turned up at uh, a model helicopter club who seems to have uh, slightly diminished members these days and uh, and did the test which is mainly theory um not as much flying as i was i was worried about the flying part 
But actually, most of it is memorizing the safety procedures, which are all publicly available. Able to, I was able to search in Google and find a PDF with all the details. And so I just committed these to memory, um, which is, you know, like a couple of paragraphs from the BMFA handbook and, uh, and some other notes. There's like a sweet mnemonic that they have, like a kind of it's sun, wind, emergencies, environment, transmitter or something like that and and you just got to kind of reel off these things and then you find out a bit about the the model flying club you're flying at you memorize the 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 heights that you can fly to and the area and you reel off those details and then get into the actual flying so i think um now i I should preface that by saying i find it very easy to memorize things because my job is largely memorizing obscure electronics and programming facts which which i'm quite good at but that that would probably i think that's the toughest bit of it. Um, if you can do that, then I think you you really don't need to worry a lot about the flying because if you're if you've been flying quads for more than a couple of years, I think you you probably have it covered. Um, and I've got one of the trial runs that I did. I should hasten to add, not not the final run because I've been warned that if I were to show that, then the, the internet and their mum would uh, would come and start complaining about it and pointing out the things I did wrong. So this is a a, a trial run that I did. Okay. So that's just uh, this. The, this is the type of maneuvers what you would have to do, um, and this is done on walk snail. So that's my DVR. I'm going to take off. You've got to go through a gate, and when you've gone through a gate, then the examiner will tell you what to do next. After that, it was to fly through a slalom. The slalom gates are five meters apart, approximately. You have to fly through them smoothly, la di da di da turn around. The turning around bit was optional. But anyway, then after that, you have to fly through a gate and through another. Um, between each of these, I'm pausing because the examiner is actually telling me what I have to do. So I'm lining up now to fly through the gate and go through yeah. This is just the trial run. So through the second gate, there we are, two gates in a row. This boy's clearly a winner. His natural skill is evident for all to see. Um, and then after this, we have to do through an obstacle, over another obstacle, and under another. So we do uh, three gates in a row, under the first, over the second, under the third. Then we hang around and wait for the examiner to tell us what to do. He wants us to do a little turn and go back through something. So we turn and go back through something. If you're feeling fancy, you can do a split S. I was uh, hoping that I wouldn't uh, bounce off the ground, and so I chose not to do a split S. I just did a little snappy your turn. Uh, and you have to do the turn in amount of space and then land without rolling more than half a meter. That is a crucial part of it. So that is that that that's pretty much it. Apart from parroting a lot of rules and regulations, which you must do correctly, and you know, don't fly with metal props. Um, that curious BMFA rule of you shall not drop things from your aircraft, which might cause damage to persons or property. I mean, interpret that as you will. But this type of question, you know, you've got to you've got to memorize those because you're going to be given five fixed questions and then a couple of them at the examiner's discretion. They can pick from anything in the BMFA handbook. Um, so, yeah, fairly straightforward. Uh, I'd encourage people to, to give it a go. I, a couple of years ago, would have thought myself completely incapable of this and I just chanced it and I was fully expecting to fail. But um, it looks like I'm, I'm just waiting for the... Uh, the admin to go through at this point. No certificate. So so previously the BMFA, when they were talking about quads, wanted you to do everything line of sight still. So 
clearly you could and buy that is clincher. as well that is the clincher that's why i decided to do it because they finally announced an fpv cert and i thought well because i'd been giving them grief about you know oh, it's only line of sight what good is that i'm never going to want to fly line of sight for more than you know maybe i'll do a test hover to make sure everything works and that's about it you know so that gets you the ability to fly at any FMA club? I honestly, I honestly don't know what that gets me. I was mainly doing it just to try and show willing, try to be perfectly out. honest, and to try it out and to see whether I could get one of these. I, I don't know the, the use. I guess it would certainly allow me to compete at, at race events um, if, if they're organized by the BMFA. Um, I don't know what the requirements are. Oh, I should point out that you have to show that failsafe is working as well. Which goes that saying, pretty much every event you go to, you need to prove that failsafe is working. This is true. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Mm. So how, how much is a BFMA membership these days? Because obviously it's the... It, it's BFMA membership, but essentially you join a club, don't you? Or you have a... Some sort of I haven't joined a club, no. So normally you do it as part of a club membership, but I haven't crucially not joined a club. I, no. I was already a member of FPV UK, and I initially said, look, I've, I'm, I'm, I've got insurance, because the guy said, oh, you have insurance, of course, because you're a BMFA member. I was like, no, I've got insurance, though. And I, and I said, no, you need to be a BMFA member to do the BMFA cert. So, so I went ahead and did that, but I should have bought the um, the british drone something something which means you just if you buy the british drone membership it starts from the point when you buy it and it runs 12 months from that point whereas the bmfa membership for reasons lost in arcane history is per calendar year and therefore i've bought half a year's membership for the cost of a whole year it costs 42 quid so it's not that much. 42 quid for BMFA membership. That's if you're a senior, which is anyone that isn't a teenager or over, I think. Nice. Oh, I, I guess it'd be interesting to know what, um, what you can do with it. And um, I suppose one of the questions would have been, uh, presumably if you're flying at a club, you need a, a spotter still, do you? Or is, this, or is it primarily for racing? Yes, I need, oh, that's the other thing. I did need a competent observer. So um, because I was not racing in a sterile environment, you know, whatever they call it, a race thing, I, I needed a competent observer. Right. Yeah. Okay. Was that the examiner in that case? That, that was my wife in this case oh. who, who came along and, and was uh, competently observing me and shouting if anyone was to turn up. <laughs> Nice. Seeing if I can find out details of uh, what the point is here. Basic standard of safety and flying competence. There you are. So I'm not sure what it, what it gets you beyond the basic standard of safety and flying competence. Um, the basic proficiency certificates provide a measure of competence for pilots operating fixed and rotary wing aircraft fitted with stabilization technologies. An FPV extension is also available to holders of any basic proficiency or A certificate. That's clearly out of date, so, yeah, unsurprisingly, because there's not an FPV extension. I just did the FPV racing A cert because people don't do line of sight multi rotor racing 
for reasons that will become immediately apparent to anyone that's seen multi-rotor racing. I, I feel that that might be interesting because there'll be like eight people there saying, did I go through the gate? I can't tell from this angle. Yeah. The one thing I did notice is that immediately after taking this certificate that um, so BMFA doesn't seem to be aware that there is an FPV racing cert and you have to kind of get in touch with people who, who know about it. And inquiring directly to BMFA headquarters, I, I got a number of confused responses like, you can go and take this at any club. And I asked club people and they're like, we don't, there, there isn't an FPV. You can't do FPV multi-rotor. And they just had no idea it existed. So, so I ended up, um, Andrew slash Frank very kindly put me in touch with someone who was definitely in the know and a, a very, very competent and helpful guy who uh, was able to, to act as examiner. So thank you very much, um, Dave, for doing that. I guess it I guess it might not be any club because the clubs sort of operate all under their own conditions, don't they? Yeah. I'm sure there's many clubs. A, a lot of them are very them. much unaware that multi-rotors are in any way part of the BMFA, it appears. But, you know, some of them obviously know what's going on because they hold races. So, uh, yeah, you've just got to find the right people, I think, is the, the takeaway. And once you find the right person, it's it's a great path and, and fairly straightforward. And probably the, what would have been sensible is to go to a race club and, and start racing. And then I would have obviously had those introductions made. But because I wasn't actually doing racing, I just thought I'd start off and do the cert without having any prior racing knowledge. As viewers no doubt realize from our introduction to Conage episode a while ago, I have no clue what's going on and found the the description of cone layouts and indicating where one should turn or go over and under things incredibly confusing that i had not done racing before but i was able to follow basic instruction and not hit things which was uh, the important part here as well as displaying common sense and uh, following the rules and be able to re repeat them back it, it does mostly sound like common sense the safety stuff doesn't it, is. it? I like the idea of don't, don't use metal props. It's like, wait, yeah. now I want to find something. Like, this is a yes and no question. What what do we think the question might be? Should it be a flying death blender? Flying death blenders are kind of cool. Well, I mean, check. that's no, kind no. of how they make the helicopters, isn't it? They're definitely like, oh, we, yeah. we attach two samurai oh, yeah. swords to this thing and we can tilt them to make it go up and down. Yeah. When they're, when they're the wing speed is that fast it doesn't really matter if they're made of cardboard or not does it it's going to hurt it's going to be going to be yeah. nasty that's definitely going to leave a that's going to leave a mark sure. mm -hmm. yeah in fact this was a helicopter club um where, where i did that which i guess means it's more kind of open to multi-rotors and they they had all the flags in the uh in the shed so i'm guessing that they weren't doing heli racing i don't is heli racing a thing I'd imagine, I given the time to repair an average heli when it crashes, it's probably not a thing. No. no nobody flies FPV on helis, and nobody takes them under, under gates. They're too busy doing those insane physics-denying... Mm. Look at my... Well away <laughs> from any <laughs> obstacle. Happy with the ground and the air, but no other trees or gates or anything, please. Just, yeah. No, or they're, or they're super scale... Um, big turbine things that cost a, a fortune that sound very cool. Yeah, and they'll be flown 300 foot off the deck very slowly in circles. Yes, looking very scale. Yeah, the scale flying thing does. It amuses me.
I, I think it can look very, very nice. It's, uh, I think scale planes look really lovely in the air. The old sort of World War One, World War Two, yeah, planes can. I, I just, cool. I, it, I just find it faintly comical, I guess, because it's like, is it, is it a small plane close up or is it a big plane far away? It's just, it just <laughs> instantly reminds me of Father Ted. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, I suppose it's slightly with scale comes less bumpiness, mm. I guess, as opposed to sort of um, your little foamy sort of lumping around in the in the wind. Uh, yeah. How is yeah. how is your plane adventure going since since the first? It's not. I don't really enjoy flying planes. When I've got space to do it, I'll drag it out and give it another go. But it, you know how I said I can't fly the five inch much because there's not enough space. Well, even I guess how often I'm able yeah. to fly a, a wing, <laughs> even less. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give it a go when I can. But right now, like uh, I was out the other day flying that O3 when it was incredibly windy and I was tuning it and like cranking the P gains and everything and D gains and, and flying that in very, very windy weather. And I can't fly, can't fly a plane and anything but the calmest of calm especially with like 1106 motors and a 40 centimeter wingspan that's that's not going to be tolerant of any wind so that is, that is quite small we shall see we shall see i got it just because i thought it might be a laugh but i've tried to fly planes before like i think i had a hub sand spy hawk and it spent so much time bouncing off the ground i just yeah i'm not optimistic about being able to fly planes what about yourself i like planes and uh, you've got lots of space well yes i mean i still there is the weather problem of like if it's if it's too windy it's it's not as much fun but even when it is a bit windy as soon as you get in the air you can just sort of ride it around a little bit so that's not so bad as i said i've still got um, my other uh, walks now that I want to install in um, one of my little wings, which is is a wing I fly a lot actually because it just the wings just come off and just attach back and you can carry it around anywhere. So I've had for a long time I've had a flight controller ready to put iNav on it, and now I've got this um, walks now. I should really crack on and get that done. I'm still in the midst of office reorganisation. The space behind me is, is ready to get more shelving, and I still have. It looks like you might at any minute spin around and bang out a tune on the piano. Yeah, or, or not, or not, or not. No, we 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 don't play very well, but we we give it a bang. I think we should have an intro where you're just facing the other way, looking back over your shoulder. <laughs> I can, yeah, it's I can midi up and, and fake it. But look, look, yeah. <laughs> Get the elbows moving, be fine. Yeah, seems fine. So, what's your favourite wing then, or plane, or what's favourite? Um, I've probably got two favourites. I think I've got the uh, I've already now forgotten what it's called. Dementia setting. What is? Hang on. I'm going to have to look up my own. Uh, is it a drac? No, they're far too expensive. The wing, Caroline. It is the. This this is it. I'm now looking at my own videos and I've typed in wing, hoping that I'll find it. Oh, 
Okay. Oh, wow. It looks like someone throwing a dummy through the air. Yeah. Hello, oh. welcome to Artifact. Oh, I don't know who this guy is, but he's very noisy. Hang on. If you yeah, look loud. here, he's like, he's literally... I'm going to mute He's just him. done it's like a foam noisy. cutout. Yeah, oh, it's I like see. a foam cutout, and then you've the, got... It's like 2D with a couple of 3D wings, spars and then just to add a bit of reinforcement. Movie bits. I want to see launch it, see what that looks like. Yeah, that looks like a challenging launch. I mean, it's got things to hold on to. Where's suppose. the Where's the prop? Oh, it's under the guy's chin, is it? Oh, there, there you go. His, his legs. It's got <laughs> calf, <laughs> calf stabilizers. Elevons. Oh, here's the launch. All right. Hey, yeah. He's away. That's pretty amazing. It's quite convincing once it gets like 20 or 30 meters away. Yeah. You don't realize it's 2D. Oh, most are not working. How's it glide? I mean, that's not bad. Yeah. Better than a person, I would say. It's not the worst landing I've seen. But yeah, that is, you know. Oh, he's got a cape now. That's oh, fun. That's what you need, isn't it? It's literally that's Superman. That's pretty convincing. That's pretty convincing. I reckon you can do it out of foam board, I think. Yeah. Do anything out of foam board. Yeah. You just need enough power to weight ratio and you're sorted. And, Fantastic. Um, what 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 I still haven't found out is what my favourite wing is. My other favourite wing, which is over there, is the Mini Talon, which is um, a sort of a, a largest wing and carries quite a heavy payload. Is that and the Open HD one? No, that's that's the the Mini Talons are more of a traditional plane. It's a V tail, but um, it will. It's quite a substantial plane, and I fly it on like a 5200 4S, and I haven't run out of battery yet. After about 40 minutes, either it's winter and my thumbs are frozen, or I've got a bit bored because I've already explored <laughs> everywhere. So I come and land it again. Um, What's the wingspan? It's... I'm going to say it's like about four and a half by feet, but it's a very deep, deep wing, so it's mm. got quite a lot of wing area. Because the 5200 Mar 4S is a heck of a pack. Yeah, you could probably double that easily. Uh, quite substantially. But that is, that's a quite a big plane. And when it comes into like glide, it, um, it, it needs quite a lot of space to land. So that's, that's again, it's another plane, like, like you were saying, where you need the area. But the one that mm. I like to fly, which I can't damn well remember. Hold on. I, I will get this now because. I will look. It's the same make as the the wing I did, or the little plane I did not too long ago. So I will just figure out what that what the make of that one is, and then I will get that from there. That is a thinky, thinky, thinky thinking oh, sounds. Dinky, curry really... thinking sounds. Thinking curry. Yeah. Biryani, mm, the thinking curry. So wrong. Why can't I remember stuff? Can't remember nothing. Why is it not there? It's not a Bixler. No, what's the, what's the little one? Like they've got a. Oh, there we go. It's. It is a Zode. A Zode what? We'll get it. We'll get it. It's not the drift. It's the Dart. The Zode Dart. Aha! Zode Dart. Okay, that's quite a big name. I've heard Zode. Z O H D, right? Yeah. 
that that is a fun little uh wing and uh i was trying to see i've got some pictures of it which i don't and as i was saying the, the good thing about that is it's it's about this big the body and everything is magnetic so you get the wings uh-huh. and the the was that the one with the carbon fiber look like a quad body it's like a carbon fiber tube and the wings just booped was that different one no that's a different one if you look at magnetic does sound good so long as i guess the magnets are not used along the lines of force that the airframe would sustain during flight yeah it's <laughs> this is it here that little that's one. the little that's dark. one and it's next to the um mini talon those are my two favorite planes and this is my friend's axn he used to have uh, everyone's first plane was an axn because, that looks um, a lot like the uh, Spyhawk that I had. That it's a bit bigger. The Spyhawk was a little into blue, and then I managed to sell on eBay. Yes, as Caroline says, the Zodart is discontinued. Is the Dart 250G still existing, or has that gone now as well? But I can put on the little Dart a a little 1300 3S and a good 25 minutes of of messing around with that and going fast, and I think much longer. Mm. You were to take it easy. Or so that that's kind of why I wanted to take this one and put the um, the walk snail in it and a proper INF nice. config because it's you can put it in a backpack, fold it all up and just go out. And uh, I think I'll use that a lot more than putting it in like a, a bigger plane and doing things with it. Makes sense. That, that's my fun. So I mentioned OpenHD a couple of times. Not so long ago, you were almost an OpenHD champion, you know, upgrading and upgrading, upgrading. Things seem to have gone off the boil a bit now. Is it because the project has gone a bit weird or um, have you just sort of found it a bit of a dead end? Not really. I just haven't had time. Um, I don't know if you, you saw the video I put out while I was, while I was in Japan saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my, my video content somewhat. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and that, that's that's one of the things. It's like, well, I want to I wanted to get out fly that again, but I got sidetracked by, oh, I've got some reviews to do. So Chasing the review cycle. Yeah, doing the review cycle. You kind of got blindsided into a lot of reviews. I noticed your channel sometimes you're like quiet, quiet, and then there's just like a cluster bomb of reviews, and I'm just, yeah, I'm quite, almost like, ow, oh, that must be difficult being curry. Like suddenly you've got ten different manufacturers saying review my thing all at once. Yeah, surprisingly, since I launched that video, I've had nothing but emails from people saying, please test this, please test this, please test this. And to be fair, some of them, it's like, well, that could be quite interesting. I should have a look at that. Or that might be helpful. So I'll have a look at that. One of which is is sitting here on the desk, which I haven't looked at yet, which is purely purely a me thing. It's just like a wireless mic and transmit, mm. which I thought, oh, that'll save me some time because I can have that instead of screwing in my big mic and stuff. But like other people like um, SNT who make those tiny little cars. Oh, yeah. Just sort of sent me three while I was away and then emailed me to say, we've sent you three more cars. It's like, I don't, I've got like That's a shelf a of cars. 12 cars yeah. of those right now. I'll just have a look at another three. So, walk snail car, when? Yeah, walk snail car would be fun. But yeah, so I've got, I've still got a bit of a, a drudge of review stuff to get through, some of which do look quite good. Um, and that, like, there's a new Radio Master thing. So I thought I'll, I'll look at that because I like the Radio Master stuff. 
Um, but yeah, then I, then I want to get on with some stuff like doing the follow-ups. Yeah. Like I, I, you had a lot of kind of, uh, I guess you were just being sort of scattergun, lots of different things that were arriving. I, I heard you reviewing in the past saying you had to kind of say no and you were getting things you didn't really want to review and it, it was it sounded like you want to do the reviews for the fun of reviewing the thing it's not a career choice to to be a reviewer it's something you're doing because it's fun to review stuff yeah i mean that that's the big that's the big battle with myself it's like somebody says oh we can give you this thing for free if you make a video about it and it's like oh that looks quite interesting I'm I'm sort of interested in it for myself, not because I think it's like oh this is going to cause me to earn lots of money from people buying them. Because yeah, you, you don't want to be part of the crowd that part of the kind of seven or eight people who, when some big tech item comes out, all drop their review in the same thirty minutes the day that the, the embargo finishes. Because you, you're not really adding anything, are you? At that point, no. I'm just I'm just another a small cog in the wheel, but. Yeah, I, I kind of think if if something's if something's interesting and fun, then I'll take a look at it. But I would much prefer to have stuff that um, make me have some sort of weird adventure or some sort of discovery mm. into doing it. Like I really liked looking at those those uh, those Radio Master PWM receivers because I got to try and sort of retrofit them into a bunch of wings and then. Um, Tried, tried flying them and stuff and had little disasters with that. And then the new um, little little unlimited range 4, 4G FPV system, which is going to go in a car, I thought, well, that, that sounds fun. fun. Although yeah. I'm kind of worried about my car getting stolen. When you look back over all the reviews you've done in the past, you know, got this litany of products going back for years. Do you think stood out as being like the, the most fun things to review that you personally kind of like got the most out of? Ah, interesting. I mean, I kind of, I've kind of liked really like outstandingly good, uh, ready to fly quads because, um, although like people have mentioned that uh, it, it's, it's really funny when you get a crappy product. And to, to that one in 20 that struggle. arrived that year and you just went wow yeah stuff like um uh the the holy bro quads which are very good that these are the, the coppice ones they just all flew brilliantly mm. and um the uh the immersion rc uh, mojo 230 which was like that that was amazing out of the box because that was so far ahead of its time. Nobody was doing anything like that. So it had two F3 boards in it, one of which was the regular flight controller, the other which was their own software with their own OSD. It had their own connection to the camera. Back, do you remember with the CCD cameras, you'd often have, I mean, you get this with um, CMOS now, you get like a little menu board and you can go through stuff. Yeah. That, yeah like way ahead of its time, had a connection. So from the menus, you could go into the camera menu and change things there. And you could you could tell it which way the motors were spinning and they'd correct themselves. And there's like motor diagnosis tool that it would measure which the RPM. This is the, let me get it. It's the Mojo 230, it's called. Oh, Immersion RC. The Immersion RC one, yeah. Which is this. yeah. I mean, it's not fun. Wasn't that like a... 
big plastic frame. I seem to remember it was like brightly colored, so I assumed it had plastic parts on it. Might be back from a time when quads were a, of a different type of build. Oh, no. It looks like a relative. Is so that colored proper. arms or are those plastic arms? Yeah, so you've got normal, normal carbony bits here, plastic protectors under there. Oh, right, all the way down. And so it, it came sort of as is, and all you had to do is open this up, plop in a receiver. This is some XSR or something with the things hanging out. But, giant mushroom antennas and still in one piece. Most of yes, those got this smashed is, This is the old Immersion RC antenna as well. And, um, yeah, it's a CCD camera. But at the time, spot on. And this, the, the thing about it, um, which I quite like about Immersion RC, is, and you often get things that just don't get tested. HUV1S props as well. So, so like, like recently it was like beta FPV. It's like you receive their ELRS module and you're like, how do you update this? Because I plug something in and it, it doesn't work. How have you tested this? which they can't have done with which with this thing they sort of tested it they gave it to like some pro pilots and said test this for us and tune it to your liking and then once they had it sorted and they did all the changes they put the tunes on so this has got the tune on from um who is he <laughs> jesus my memory uh somebody it's really good. And so it th that was the difference, yeah. It's gone. I can remember some Japanese, but most English words have gone. That's all you need, mate. Just remember what the tasty things are. Yeah. Let the rest go. Uh, thingy, Chad, Chad Nowak. Right. It's something Fly Oz. I don't, I don't know. Sorry, Chad. It's, his tune's on there, and that, that was the difference to me about seeing a, a chord that's perfectly tuned and i mean absolutely smoothish like mm. versus one of my tuning so that is that's a great quad that was actually um that was sent by a magazine review that one i think wow that that kind of dates it doesn't it back like, when magazines days. existed when you could actually get enough of a circulation with a paper publication about a niche hobby yes that's, that's incredible i wrote i think i wrote for five magazines in all and yeah. three of them are out of production. One I had to take to small claims court to get them to pay me. Oh, uh, and the other one is, it won't be going too long because I, I published an article there about, it was kind of about like old school, uh, traditional pilots flying fixed wing versus quads for one of the mini air show things. And in their same uh, issue, they had a, like a readership survey, the results of it. And like the average age of the reader was like 71. So it's like, okay, They're these guys now. aren't going <laughs> to <laughs> much longer. At which case, the, uh, the, the magazine doesn't have an audience anymore. So. Yeah. Like when I'm in an airport and things, I look at magazine racks, think, oh, I'll get something for the flight. And yeah, it's, uh, it's like, unless you're doing generic lifestyle tips or photographs of the rich and famous, like the broadest, most vague categories. There's just no room in the market for magazines anymore. It's kind yeah, of nice. Magazines just don't have an existence. Yeah, go read a book instead. Which is, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. Yeah, and in many ways, personal websites have kind of gone 
like a lot of people who used to have their own sites, I think Oscar Lang is, is the kind of exception where he's still putting out quality content. But a lot of the sites that I used to read for quadcopter content, they've just kind of vanished or they've stopped being updated. You look and the last post is like 2019 or something. It's all just become, you know, YOLO something out on Instagram or Facebook, put some like weird portrait video out. Another thing I hate, I'm, I'm a, that's the thing that gets me. I'm, I'm a generation that just cannot abide portrait video. I'm just like, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, doing it wrong. Um, like our eyes are not on top of each other. Stop it. Uh, and uh, yeah, unless you're doing that, I think you just can't get the eyeballs anymore, unfortunately. No. It, it is a it is a different game, but um, yeah, yeah. So so my my future will hopefully involve some more interesting projects, or as I, as I as I said, more sort of longer uh, to produce videos, because that despite <laughs> as I said, despite reviews looking like they're clunked together in five minutes, they do take bloody ages. Oh, yeah. Filming and messing around and editing and wondering if that works and going back to the manufacturer saying, hey, this didn't work. It's like I've got from from months ago a, a, a robot kit because I was I was quite, you know, passionate about like the STEM stuff. And I actually had like proper like competitions and stuff. So I built their robot and then at, at the moment it's probably been 30 hours of video because I had to build like five variations of this robot to, and get it to do things. And then, so for the last one, I thought I'd design something really complicated, use all the sensors, use all the motors, and then have it drive around this course and use the sensors to try and work out where barrels are and pick them up and take them back and put them down. So very that like a lot of work. Let's, let's do this. I, I figured it out. I think that'd be okay. I can, I can crack this out. And I've made the board brown out essentially. And uh -huh. so I was in touch with these guys and I to do this test, do this test. And I was like, look, see, it's gone, it's gone wrong. And it's like, it's a combination of having the gyro sensor, another sensor, putting a certain motor under pressure makes it go bad. And they've come up with, we think it's you using regular alkaline batteries. We think it's, it's browning out and causing the board to crash and then the motor's getting stuck on. And they said, we're going to send you one of our lithium ion packs which will hold up and it, it's going to fix the problem. So while I was away, they said, oh, have you got it yet? Is it working? I said, oh, I haven't got it yet. Did you send it? I said, yeah, yeah, it should be there by now. So when I got home, um, it wasn't here. So I said, hey, it wasn't here. Do you have like a tracking number or anything so we can check it? And I said, yes, we do. I said it got delivered. I was like, oh, I checked the tracking number. And what there, were, what there was as proof of delivery was a photo of my open recycling bin. So they'd oh taken the package, delivered it to the recycling bin, and then they didn't put a note through the door to say, we've put the package in your recycling bin. So the day after, my battery <laughs> went into the happened? recycling, which is possibly I've had the this worst once, thing. And I was horrified. I like called up customer service for the company in question and, and, and screamed at them bad. Like, in no world does putting a package in a bin count as safely delivering. Like, the one purpose of that receptacle is to dispose of things. In what world do you think that that is a safe destination? Uh, you might as well just leave it in plain sight and hope someone nicks it because putting it in a bin, yeah, 
like one day in seven, it's going to be immediately disposed of. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been so bad if they put a note through the door saying, we have put your delivery in the recycling bin. But because they didn't, my mother-in-law who was staying in the house didn't think like to randomly check bins and they didn't send me the tracking. So I couldn't, it's not like I got tracking updates to say we have, we have delivered it. And then I could look at the photo and say, quick, get it out of the bin. It's just like, we have randomly hidden it around your property. It'd be disposed of if you don't find it in a day. This is like Yodel who decided that they deliver our pet food and that the best place to leave it was the end of our path on the pavement. And so we got back to find that box had been torn open and like savaged by passing dogs. <laughs> like they didn't even bother to carry it up the path. They just dumped it on the street and walked off. Just, just awful. Yes, just it's awful. very strange. I've had really high value items just left outside. And this battery, they decided like this is, this might get stolen. We'll put it in a bit. On a more positive and drone related thing. This is the video I got of the O3 in a very, very windy day. And I had better luck with gyro flow than you did. And um, managed to get this out of it. I don't know if you can see, but the trees are going quite considerably side to side. And I managed to get this bit of footage out of it with gyro flow on default settings from the O3. Um, I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Yeah. Trees are bouncing ground. It's a bit funny, like when I pitch it does that kind of funny zooming thing so it doesn't want to let me do that but uh yeah i was i was incredibly impressed i thought wow it felt like it had finally arrived at this point i'm not the biggest fan of the way it does light and dark it looks to me like it never wants to overexpose but it'll quite happily like turn a lot of the picture into jet black which i don't know if it's just my eyes, but something about seeing jet black just irks me. I, I, I like to see the detail in the dark parts of the screen. I don't know if you find that, but it, it irks me for some reason. And I've had camera people say, oh, it's, well, it's better they don't blow out the bright areas. And yeah, that's good because when it's blown out, you can't get any more detail. But if they don't, if they leave the dark areas as jet black, that's just the opposite side of the same coin, which is that you can't pull anything out of those blacks if they're just black there's no information there it it does it needs to be adjusted in some way so you're seeing the right detail in both ends of it i gave it a small bump on the ev like plus 0.3 and i might just try and bump the ev some more but i'm not sure if i'm ever going to be completely happy like that compared to the walk snail in similar conditions, the walk snail doesn't overexpose the sky, but it, it gives me more detail in the dark areas. So it feels like I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds with walk snail. Whereas with the O3, it feels like the dark areas stay very dark. I don't know. Maybe I'm not enough of a camera snob, and if I was, I'd think that's the better way to have it because you're making a compromise in the right direction. I'm not too sure. Hmm. Well, I think the problem is we we um we're often getting dark areas because we fly generally close to the floor. So if you're going to have something that's getting the exposure, you want it down there. It doesn't matter so much if the sky is blown out. 
because you don't need to look at detail there, do you? Yeah. Like I'm flying under a tree. That's the FPV pilot's sun. eye and not the photographer's eye, I guess. Maybe mm. if you're a photographer, you consider the the entire picture and not just the parts that you want to actually fly into. Whereas, you know, as an FPV pilot, you're like, if I'm going to be flying there, I want to see everything there. And the sky is just the sky, <laughs> whether it's blown out or not blown out. You're pretty sure unless there's a black dot in it, you're good to fly there. I tend to think so. Yes. Well, hey, we've been Anywho, going for over an hour. We've been going for, yeah, going for over an hour. So probably an appropriate time to call it. Sorry, I haven't been paying attention to the chat. I've been uh, distracted, I guess, from that. But thank you for everyone in the chat. Hello, Caroline. Hello, Shady. And Hydra, I think, was there as well. And Style Sucks. Ayo. Thank you for your awesome work on Blue Jay. We should put out a note that uh, Style Sucks and um, Daniel Mascara have done some fantastic work on Blue Jay, and they just put out a release this week for the long-awaited-for 0.20 version of Blue Jay that fixes a whole bunch of problems and gives you some some safety checks and things as well. So. If you are running a BL Heli S ESC and haven't updated, now is the time to use BlueJay. And if you're using an older version of BlueJay, please update. Um, so yeah, little tip for everyone out there, go check it out. And you can use this guy's awesome website to do it as well. ESC-configurator, esc-configurator.com. Uh, any Chrome-based browser, so that's Edge, Chromium, or Vivaldi, any one of the bajillion chromium offshoots will, will work um and you can u even use that on mobile devices i think on android at least so uh yeah give it a go nice and easy upgrade and it will help because then you can use rpm filtering and even edt safety arming as well which will make sure you can't accidentally spin your props in your hand which everyone wants some mobile device, Android mobile devices that play nicely. Yeah, it's a uh, mobile devices are a bit of a uh, a crapshoot, but uh, nothing's going to work on Apple. Mind -wise. Nothing works on Apple. No, that's the oh 3D mode as well. Now you can do sustained and inverted flight as well, where it was a little bit wonky and would look like a desync before. So, well done, guys. Uh, just an excellent thing, and, and keeping a lot of older quads in the air with up to date features. So I think that's fantastic. Thanks. And with that, and a huge thank you to our list of amazing patrons that are scrolling at the bottom of the screen, we will bid you adieu. Thank you from the wonderful Curry Kitten. Goodbye. Thank you from the and from me, Stephen. Stephen. Cheers. <laughs> Have a good week. Catch you later, everyone. Bye. 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 Telemetry lost.